people don't go, oh, heard it all before. Same old, same old. Hasn't he got something new to say? Instead, they listen to this guy and they say, this one's different. To all the other teachers, we've heard a bunch of teachers. There's all these teachers of the law who keep rabbiting on, but this one's different. He teaches with authority. Well, of course, that's not surprising, is it? Because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. So when he opens his mouth, he's not speaking with the human authority. He's not speaking with human ideas. He's not speaking with human thoughts and philosophies. He is speaking with the authority of God himself, all authority. That's why he's the teacher above all other teachers. Miss Jolly knew a bit about singing, but she did not have all authority. I might write to her and remind her. The next one um, comes in uh, chapter, hang on a second, uh, it, <laughs> da, 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 da. Um, it comes in verse, chapter 11, verse 1, after Jesus had finished instructing his disciples, he went on there, from there to teach and to preach. Then you get one at the end of chapter 13, 1354, um, sorry, 1353. 53, when Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. You get a, um, another one. <laughs> okay, there's, there's a couple more, which you can find for yourself. because uh, There's another one at the start of chapter 25, uh, at the end of 25. So start of 26, when Jesus finished saying these things. Anyway, they're all there. You can find them later on. Um, I seem to have made a mistake in my notes. Never mind. Um, five times he finished teaching. Teaching, 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 finished. Five blocks. Now, why are there five blocks of teaching? There's five blocks of teaching because Matthew is wanting to make you think of another five in the Bible. He's wanting to make you think of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He's wanting you to think of the five books of the law. That is the great Old Testament teaching. If you want to find the law of God, you look to Moses. He was the great teacher of the Old Testament. And the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, form the foundational teaching of the nation of Israel. Here comes Jesus, the new Israel, the new Moses, the greater teacher who teaches. And Matthew deliberately constructs his gospel with five blocks in order to echo the five blocks of Moses so that he's saying to us, can you see this is the teacher? This is the one who has all authority. This is the one who speaks truth. And the reason that Jesus is the great teacher, the greatest of all teachers, if you turn to chapter 11 of Matthew, let me just show you this. This is really important for us just to see. Why is Jesus such a great teacher? Well, look at Matthew chapter 11, verse 27. All things have been committed to me by my Father, no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Here is the claim that Jesus is making. He says, I am not just a human teacher. I am the Son of God. The Father, God the Father, has entrusted all things to God the Son, and it is the Son who reveals the Father to us. So how do you know God? You know God through the Son. This is how God makes himself known. 
And so Jesus is making this claim. If you want to know God the Father, you can only know him through Jesus the teacher. He's the only one who can teach you that. Mr. Frisbee will teach you chemistry, and Mr. Crosby will teach you maths, but only Jesus will teach you the Father. That's why he's the greatest teacher. Because Jesus is the Son of God who has come from God to speak to us about God so that we might know God. You see that? That's why he's the teacher. That's why he's the teacher who stands above all other teachers. That's why he's the teacher who is supreme. That's why he's to be the rabbi. Now, with all that in mind, that is why Jesus is able to say, I want you to teach them everything I've commanded, to obey everything I've commanded you. There's something else, though, I want us just to notice about this before we then get into some of the more practical outworkings of this. And that is the order. I want you to notice that before Jesus says, teach them to obey, right? Because we go, teach them to obey? Hang on, I thought, what? I thought being a Christian wasn't about obeying. I thought it was about believing. And we talk about that all the time. Why are we now supposed to be obeying commands? We need to see the order. Remember, you baptize them and then you teach them, right? Baptize them, then teach them. Not teach them, then baptize them. You may say, well, what's that got to do with it? What it's telling you is that God saves you and then he teaches you. To, to put this in Old Testament terms, we talked about this last time with baptism. When God's people were slaves in Egypt, they came through the water, through the Red Sea, and then they went to the mountain. So they came out of slavery. God didn't then say, right, you're on your own now. Instead, he said, He brought them to the mountain where he then gave them the law. But it's water, then mountain. That's the order. Look, imagine I was walking along one day and I, um, I saw a sheep in a ditch with its legs in the air. Right? That was to help you picture it. There it is. Now, I'm a, I'm a kind, you know, gentle-hearted sort of chap. So I'd grab it. In fact, I wouldn't. I'd find someone else. I'd say, Mike, can you come and grab the sheep? But we'd get it out, right? We'd get the sheep out of the ditch, and it would skip off, and I'd feel well, and I'd feel good about life, and go, aren't I a good human being? Imagine the next time I'm walking down the street, and I see the same sheep in the same ditch. I'd go like, you're in the ditch again. But because I'm a kind, patient, good sort of chap, I would lift the sheep up out and say, off you go, sheep, go for freedom. And I'd go on my way. Imagine the next day, you know where this is going, I walk down the street, I see the sheep in the ditch. At some point it's going to dawn on me, this sheep needs more. This sheep needs more than just saving. There is something fundamentally wrong with this sheep. And here is the point. When God saves people, he doesn't just save you. He gives you more. You see, that sheep, what it needs is not just rescuing. It then needs to be taught. It needs to be led. It needs to be, have a shepherd who will teach it the right way to go. 
And so Jesus says, I want you to baptize people. I want you to save people. I want you to show them that I came to save them. But I didn't just come to save them. I then came to teach them. You see, here's the problem. If you only want Jesus to save you, but you don't want him to teach you, then you are failing to understand what you really need from him. You need Jesus to save you because all of us have gone astray like sheep. We've gone our own way. We've ended up in a ditch. We're in great trouble. There is a God who is judge. We've heard about that already. And we are in a ditch and we are in great danger. Danger of punishment. Danger of hell forever. And Jesus comes into the world to save us. That's what baptism is all about. He dies and he rises again and he rescues us from the pit, from the place of danger that we are in. He rescues us by giving his life. But then he says, now I want to teach you how to live. He wants to be your rescuer and your teacher. The greatest of all teachers. And the commandments that Jesus gives you are not commandments to spoil your life. They're commandments to save your life. The commandments that Jesus gives you are not commandments to stop you from doing the things that you would really enjoy. They're to stop you from doing the things that will destroy you. The commandments of, good, of Jesus are good. They're not a burden that he loads on you to crush you. They are a light, a light and gentle burden that he says, let me help you. He's the great teacher. And so here is the teacher who comes to save you and then to teach you. Right, so hopefully, right, by this point, I've banged on enough about it, You've seen Jesus as the teacher. You've seen that he is great. He is a teacher who saves you first and then he teaches you water, then mountain. Don't ever think that Jesus says, mountain first, rules first, then I'll save you. No, no, no. Water first, then mountain. I think this has three implications. Let me tell you three implications and we'll just see these as we try and work out what difference this makes. Firstly then, if this is true, Jesus is the great teacher, and he says to us, go teach them. It means don't make clones, make disciples. Don't make clones. See, there is a danger that we can, in our sort of wanting to make disciples, actually what we're trying to do is make people like us. We're trying to get people to agree with us. We're trying to get people to be like us, to adopt the way that we do things, to adopt our cultural expressions of what it means to be a Christian. And we say, you need to come and be like us. And what we can accidentally do is not make disciples of Jesus, but actually just make people who agree with us and are like us. They're not disciples. You see, we can get so fixated on human teachers that we actually become disciples of a person rather than Jesus. We can be so gripped by and fascinated by human leaders that we find ourselves wanting to follow them. And so the question is not in our heads, oh, I wonder what Jesus says about this. What is it that Jesus wants me to do? What is it that Je how does Jesus want me to live? Instead, we find ourselves asking, how is it that this person wants me to live? 
That is dangerous. It's dangerous because no human being is the supreme teacher. In fact, in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus explicitly says, do not call any human being rabbi. Do not call any human being teacher, for I am your teacher, Jesus says. It's an exclusive claim. And so I don't, it doesn't matter who it is that you're into. It doesn't matter who it is that's your favorite kind of Christian teacher person. It's only Jesus who's our teacher. And I fear sometimes, and you you see it on Twitter all the time, that there are these little groupings that gather around people. They gather around celebrities. You know, I I like John Piper, and I like Tim Keller, I like John MacArthur, and all these different kinds of people. And we sort of gather around them, and we, we become these little tribes, and we form little tribes. And Jesus says, don't do that. Don't do that. I'm your teacher. And so my job as a pastor is to teach you what Jesus says. To say, don't listen to me. Keep listening to him. Look at what he says. Look at Jesus. Look at his greatness. He's the one who died for you. He's the one who rose you. He for you. He's the one who will shepherd you. He's the one who must teach you. And so God does use human teachers. Jesus doesn't say to his disciples, well, you sit down there out the way and I'll get on with teaching everybody. He does use human teachers. But the danger is that human teachers just let pride go to their heads. And human teachers love to take more and more control themselves and make clones of themselves such that you have to agree with everything I say. And you hear preachers who begin to sound like their heroes or dress like their heroes. Seriously, if you start dressing like me, (laughs) yeah, okay, we may be okay on that one. But you get what I mean. This is why we need each other. This is why Jesus didn't choose one person to go and teach the world his command. He chose 11 because he knew how we would screw it up. He knew how we would put people on a pedestal. Jesus says, no, you're not to make clones. You're to make disciples. I would love it if Globe Church was full of people who had all sorts of different experiences and ideas and backgrounds and thoughts, different understandings, different perspectives that we come together. If we all agree on everything, we're getting it wrong because we're not making disciples, we're making clones. But you can see how that's a danger, right? And of course, that sometimes is going to be uncomfortable because clones are much more comfortable because everyone agrees with each other, right? And when everyone agrees, it's much more fun because we can just smile at each other and go, aren't we right? And that seems to be what happens on Twitter. They all, we all just find the people we like and we agree with everybody and go, aren't we right and aren't they wrong? And perhaps we're both wrong. So I think we need to work really hard to distinguish between what is cultural and what is Jesus. Is this something, here's the question you should be asking, is this something Jesus has commanded, this thing that I feel so strongly about and so passionately about that I feel, is it something Jesus has commanded or something I prefer? Is it something Jesus has commanded or something I feel comfortable with? Because if all we want in a church is a place where we feel comfortable, we're in big danger.
And the trouble in London, of course, is that you can go and find the church that you most like. There's plenty of them, right? If you feel really comfortable at Globe, I think that should make us a little bit nervous. If you find yourself a little bit uncomfortable at Globe, and sometimes it feels like, oh, there's people here, and it's a bit difficult, and so forth, that's how it's supposed to be. Let's keep pushing for that. Don't make clones. Make disciples of Jesus. Keep pointing people to Jesus. And that means if you're trying to help someone, perhaps you're meeting up with a friend and they're struggling, your job is not to fix them. Your job is not to, to kind of be the teacher that they need or to be the spiritual guru. And sometimes you go, oh, I haven't got the wisdom. Of course you haven't got the wisdom. But you know the one who has. And so your job is to say, let's look at what Jesus says. Let's talk about Jesus. Let me help you to think about how Jesus teaches us on this. That's what it means to care for each other. That's how we make disciples of one another. Keep pointing them to Jesus. Here's the second thing. Don't build crowds. Make disciples. If the first danger is making clones, the second danger is building crowds. In order to fulfill the Great Commission, we've just got to get as many people as we can. Can I tell you how to build a crowd? It's not that difficult. Sometimes people are impressed by really big churches. It's not that difficult. You find someone, if you want to build a crowd, you find someone with ginger hair. And you give them a guitar, a small guitar, not a very big one, just a small one. And uh, you get them to be really good at, um, back, I can't remember what it's called, loop pedals. And you get them to write some really banger songs. And they will sell out the Principality Stadium in Cardiff, 80,000 people for three nights in a row. If you're completely lost what I'm talking about, that's what Ed Sheeran's doing at the moment. Such that on the BBC News yesterday, the M4 had a... Do you see this? It's hilarious. Ed Sheeran, poor bloke. He's getting blamed for like these traffic jams on the M4... You know, all these people trying to get to the Prince Party Stadium to see Ed Sheeran play. But you see, Ed Sheeran's not trying to teach anyone anything. He just wants to entertain them. And people love it. And if that's what we're about, if we want to build crowds, all we've got to do is entertain people. Right? you just got to put on a show. You... And also, if you're going to build crowds, you've got to make sure you only teach the bits that are sort of popular. You see, one of the challenging things is that Jesus said, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Everything. And the problem is, if you want to build a crowd, if you want to build a big church, there are some things that Jesus said that are just not going to do that. They're not going to do it. Because Jesus spoke about things that are not very politically correct in our culture. Jesus spoke about things. He spoke in a way which people will not like. And of course, he said loads of things that people do like. And the danger is that what we do is we go, well, let's just do that, because then we can teach what Jesus said, and we can teach him and say, Jesus says this, and everyone goes, yay, Jesus, yay. And then we can say, actually, Jesus warned of the reality of hell. He warned people. Jesus warned people that the, that the way to hell is wide and the gate to life is narrow. 
And suddenly you can see people starting to walk, walk away. You see, that's what they did when Jesus taught. They walked away. Yes, there were crowds who wanted the miracles, and if Jesus had just been Ed Sheeran, he could have built more of a crowd than Ed Sheeran because he could do better miracles than Ed Sheeran. And he could have filled out stadiums night after night, and he could have healed the sick, and he could have put on an extraordinary show, but instead he said things that made people walk away. Because Jesus loves us too much. He didn't come to us in our ditch and go, it's okay, you're fine in your ditch. It's fine, you're, you're fine, stay there. He said, you're in great danger. So I, I want us to be a church that's willing to say the hard things as well as the easy things. I want us to be a church that isn't ashamed of what Jesus commands. Can I tell you, sometimes I am. And that's not right. And we need to be, challenge each other to be unashamed to stand up and speak, but to speak with love, because here's the thing, right? There are some people who love this kind of confrontational stuff, and they go, oh, yeah, rah, 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 Jesus said this. And they're sort of quite angry about what Jesus said. <laughs> and they go, no, 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 because Jesus, look at the way Jesus speaks about hell. Look at the way Jesus taught. He spoke with such love. He spoke with such compassion and with tears and with grace. That's what we need to go for. So can I say, I, if Globe Church, if Globe Church stays small, but is full of people who are true disciples of Jesus, is that, is that worse than if Globe Church would grow to a thousand? But actually, that's because we've hidden what Jesus really said. You get the point. We need to be courageous. We need to be serious about what Jesus said. And here's the third thing. The third thing is don't feed brains, make disciples. You see, the danger is, isn't it, when you hear the word teaching, what do you immediately think of when you hear teaching? You think of school, right? Teaching, you think of sitting in a classroom, you think of sitting behind a desk, you think of sitting there, you know, academically learning. And the problem can be that we could become a church that is fascinated by information. We love information. We love getting more stuff, right? Growing our brains, growing our knowledge, being able to articulate fantastic theological arguments and things that are so impressive sounding. The problem is that Jesus didn't say, teach them, teach them everything I've commanded you. He said, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Do you see the difference? Jesus isn't interested in us knowing stuff. He's interested in us doing stuff. And this probably is one of the biggest challenges for a church like ours. That we can know stuff. That we can fill our heads, but we don't do stuff. We don't obey it. It doesn't change our lives. And when Jesus speaks, he says, my teaching is not about information, it's about transformation. It's not about brains being full, it's about hearts being full and about lives being changed. And some of us, this afternoon, Jesus says, I want to teach you to obey me, not just to know about me. 
Where is it this afternoon that you think, I need to change? When I look at what Jesus says, I need to change. That's why a lot of the people who would be on this stage who've taught me stuff were never in my classroom. But they were in my life. They were the people who walked alongside me. They were the people who let me watch them how they did life. They were the people who I watched as they cared for people. And I thought, wow, that's what it looks like to care. There'd be a man on this stage called Ron Pierce. An old man who was old when I first met him. He was at the last church I was at. By the end, he, would, he could hardly breathe. Right? He was, every, every breath was kind of quite raspy. He always wore a suit to church. He was as straight as they come in terms of conservative and you know, very proper. And he was always at the prayer meeting. And he taught me how to pray. Because I listened to him. I listened to a man pray who really knew God. And he was so different to me. He wasn't kind of passionate and, and like waving his arms around. He just prayed like he knew God. He discipled me. He discipled me not by intentionally coming alongside, but just by being there and praying. And I listened to him. That's what it means. He taught me everything Jesus had commanded as I listened to him pray. And guys, that's why discipling is a family business. Jesus does not say, John T., you need to disciple all these people. He says, Globe Church, disciple one another. Make disciples. Disciple one another and then let that overspill to others outside of Globe Church. So here's my challenge as we finish. And I, I want you to be really specific about this. Who is it that you're going to disciple? Who is it that you are going to be part of making a disciple? You may say, well, I'm not experienced enough. I don't know enough. You know enough to make a start. To be someone who comes alongside someone else and says, can we talk about Jesus? You see, I think often we can be in the danger of sort of going, I want to be this. Someone come and teach me. Someone come and look after me. Someone come and care for me. And we do need to be cared for. But the way we care, the way that happens is as we all look out and go, well, who am I doing that for? Who do I go to? Who do I move to? One of my favorite things in London is to walk into a coffee shop and to see two people from Globe Church with a Bible open in front of them talking about Jesus. It happens. It happened this week. It's such a good thing. And across London, that's what we're doing, right? That's why we have this app called 121. If you've never looked at it, then get it open on your phone at some point. It's a web app, whatever that means. I don't understand these. Look, go to one21.org, and you'll find it. And every time we preach, there is some questions that help you go back over what we've learned. That's so that we can make disciples of one another. So that you can sit down with someone and you can talk through what you've learned and you can encourage each other and remind each other of everything that Jesus has commanded. 
That's there for you to use. If you're not quite sure how to do that, then ask someone who knows about these things. <laughs> but who is it that you think, I want to disciple them? Now, let me, let me say, some, some of you are doing this brilliantly, right? This is not supposed to heap another load of burden on you. This is not trying to say, you should be doing more. No, no, I'm not saying do more. I'm saying, who is it? Do you know? And be intentional about it. Because to make disciples takes time. It takes time. It takes engagement. It takes life. Coming alongside people. Being there for people. Being there in the moments when life is hard. And the cool thing is you may just end up being one person on the stage of someone's life. Who they look back and they go, I remember her. She taught me this. I didn't see it at the time, but I remember now. That's exciting. That's what church life's about. So Jesus says, go, make disciples. Not feeding brains, but changing lives, encouraging one another to obey everything Jesus has commanded. Not clones, not crowds, not brains, disciples. You excited about that? Can you see how exciting that would be? And as we're doing that for one another, then as more people are baptized and come to know Jesus, as we go out to make disciples, as we meet people, and as they come to know Jesus, it becomes the most natural thing then to teach and to disciple and to go on doing that process so that this more and more people are coming through. And then they become disciple makers who are then going to make more disciples. And this was Jesus' vision so that he would be the supreme teacher over his whole church. Why don't we pray? Let's pray and let's take some time to respond. We're going to um, sing together in a moment. Um, Okay, here's what we're going to do. I want you to take one moment to think of someone in your life who Jesus used to teach you. Think of someone. If you're not a Christian, you can still do this. Because there may be someone in your life who has talked to you about Jesus. You have to understand, if there's there's someone who's talked to you about Jesus, that was Jesus talking to you. Don't miss it. If you're here and you're not a Christian, he's still interested in being your teacher, and he's doing it through your friends. Think of that one person and thank God for them. Thank God for what they did. And now let's ask that God might even use us to make disciples. That God would use us in the gifts he's given us and in small ways, big ways, however ways he wants, that he would use us to make disciples. Ask that he would use you. Father, we praise you this afternoon that Jesus is the teacher. We praise you that he is the greater Moses, the one who reveals you to us, the one who came into our ditch, into our mess, who died and rose again to save us, and the one who then teaches us with good commands for our good that we might live for him. 
Father, we pray that we'd pin all our hope on Jesus, the teacher, and that we might be then used to teach others all that he's commanded. And we ask it in his name. Amen.